listening to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Hey girl, hey, and welcome to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm your co-host, Julie Graham. And I'm Darlene Brock, and I think today will be interesting, a good conversation for a lot of women. I like that. Yes, we have a friend joining us on the show, and I knew I was going to like her when I went to her Instagram, and I saw lots of talk of burritos and donuts. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Of Doritos and donuts. No, not Doritos. Burritos. What I mean, those? Doritos are fine. I'm oh, sorry. burrito. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, do you I'm not know what a burrito you, is? No, you guys, pause the podcast. I've <laughs> no. got to take Dar to Chipotle. No, 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 I do. I'm sitting here thinking it's a chip. For some reason, my head thought Dorito, and I was trying to put a burrito in a chip form. Okay, <laughs> so did not work Amazing. Well. well, today on the podcast, we're going to be chatting with Molly Stillman. She's the founder of the blog, Still Being Molly. She's the host of Business with Purpose podcast, and she is passionate about sharing her faith. She hopes to inspire women that they can believe that they really were created with a purpose and for a purpose. Okay, so Molly, we are so excited to have you because from what I can tell, you're just like us. You're a grit and grace woman trying to balance all the things, all the people, that marriage and motherhood and work and friendships. But what we really want to know is... Tell us about your guilty pleasure. Do you like sweet or salty? Ooh, when it comes to food, I am going to say salty. Not that I don't like sweet, but if I have to like really like something that's guilty pleasure, it's going to be salty. What about you, Dar? I just would have put them together. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. You know, the sweet and salty thing that's going on now. I live for that. Like Chex Mix. Uh-huh. They, have, they have a good sweet and salty. Oh, no. Like caramel salted chocolate, put it all together. I'm in heaven. Mm. I I mean, I'm a sweets all day, air day kind of person. Okay. I got one more for you, Molly. Going out or staying in? Staying in hundred (laughs) percent. Dar? Staying in. And I'm looking at Julie knowing there's no way. I don't even like sitting here in this office right now to record this. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm definitely go out. I was just telling Dar about my day. I have like 7,000 things I have to do today. Just go, 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 go. Molly, I'm incredibly impressed by all the things you do, but I read a few things that you've done before. You golfed for 18 years. You yes. Were, <laughs> yeah. You were a high school teacher, correct? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even more amazing is you were a comedian, correct? I was, yeah. Well, we're impressed because we think that women's lives are constantly changing, and it looks like yours went through lots of transitions. Yes, it did. Yeah, I know. It's. It, I was actually having a conversation with a friend this morning at the gym, and I think I had made reference to the fact that I was a high school teacher, and she was like, "Wait, when were you a high school teacher? Like, wh- how?" Are you? And I was like, "I know. I'm a lot older than I look." <laughs> oh, that's a gift. <laughs> so, which yes. one of those was your favorite? Um. Well, I mean, they're all just different. I mean, I you know, golf was just the sport that I played growing up. Um, and my, my dad was a golf teacher. So pretty much he put a set of golf clubs in my hand, uh, you know, shortly after I could walk. <laughs> and, um, but I, I pretty much stopped paying, playing competitively once I graduated high school and oh, now gotcha. I'll just play for fun. Um, and then, um, yeah, but then I did, you know, sketch an improvisational comedy for about 15 years and so cool. I, 
loved it. And I still, I still love comedy. Like I follow, um, the art of it. And, um, a lot of my friends that I did improv with are still doing it. And so they are, you know, and some of them are doing like big, you know, big, awesome things. And it's really cool to see them be successful. Um, and so I can cheer on their successes and, you know, it's just, for me, it wasn't that I didn't like it or I didn't love it. Um, or I didn't want to pursue it anymore. Just a lot of changes were happening in my life. And I just realized I was at a point in my life where it was time to kind of let that part go. Well, you kind of have hinted at what I really want our listeners to take away from our chat with you today. And and it's that women have the ability to rebuild ourselves. Um, Even Mm. when it seems like everything is at a loss, we've hit rock bottom, we can't go on. The, the beauty of being a grit and grace woman is that we actually can start over at any given point that our life challenges aren't going to defeat us or define us. We walk through them and not around them. So um, we want to hear mm-hmm. a little bit about how, you know, you have experienced that in your own grit and grace life. Kind of for me, it goes to what I call like my life BC, my life before Christ mm-hmm. and my life after Christ. And um, they just, my life looks very different. Um, from before I really knew and followed, decided to follow Jesus and, um, my life after. And, um, I became a believer in the fall of 2010, um, really at, you know, a very, very low point in my life. Um, just there were, I was in a, an extreme amount of debt financially. Um, I, what had been, I had gotten out that year out of a, um, just an unsafe and a toxic relationship. I was just really searching for something, but at the time I didn't know what it was. And obviously later I came, I came to realize what it, what it truly was, but it was, um, just a time where I was, I was seeking, um, or something more. And so for reasons that are really pretty unexplainable, I stepped into a church, uh, that, uh, Sunday, September 26, 2010, and, uh, pretty much have not missed a Sunday since. So, you know, my, my life just looks very different than it did then. All right, Molly, you mentioned that you were in an enormous amount of debt and had dug in deeply, but you know, that doesn't just happen. There is usually something that triggers, you know, the deep holes we find ourselves in. Was there something that started that for you that uh, led you to being vulnerable? Yeah. um, My mom passed away my senior year of high school. And uh, there was, that was definitely the, the very, very early beginnings of just life heading in a very dark direction for me because I never dealt with my mother's death. I didn't, um, cope with it. I didn't go to therapy. I just pushed. I mean, I tried to go like, she died on a Friday morning. I tried to go back to school on Monday. I remember walking into school. My teachers were like, please leave. Like, like you haven't even had the funeral yet. Like you need to get out of here. I was for sure not okay, but I was telling everybody like, Oh, I'm fine. I was 17. Like, of course I wasn't okay. Um, and so, so that really, you know, led me down just a path of, of 
making very poor micro decisions. Mm -hmm. And as we know, like micro decision after micro decision adds up to macro impact. Right. And so as I was making all of these micro decisions that were, were not good, they were adding up over time. Um, what were some of the coping mechanisms you mentioned that you were turning to? Well, I mean, when I went to college, cause then, you know, that following fall, I, I went off to college and I was, you know, leaving my dad behind and, um, and you know, I, it just was a really difficult time as far as like, I, I didn't want to depend too much on my dad. And, So, you know, I got to college and I signed up for a credit card and I started kind of very slowly racking up credit card debt. Mm. Um, and I realized that for me, like the independence of being able to like go to the store or go out to a restaurant by myself and I could make that decision. And I was in control of that when everything else in my life felt out of control the one thing I could control was, you know, what I did with my money. And so I began to have this false sense of like, oh, well, I have all this money I can spend. And so I just very slowly started to rack up, um, enormous amounts of credit card debt. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward to, um, 2008, June of 2008, I was a year out of college. So I'd been a high school teacher for a year in Richmond, Virginia, And I realized all of a sudden that I was over $36,000 in credit card debt. And as a high school teacher, an entry-level high school teacher with no master's degree, I was making $30,000 a year. So I was making less than a year than I owed on my credit cards. And I had a full-blown panic attack and realized that there was no way that I was going to be able to pay off this debt and that I could barely make the minimum payments. And, um, so I began a process of working to get out of that debt, but I had so much shame and embarrassment associated with it because this wasn't anybody else's fault, but my own. Like nobody else made these decisions, but me. And so I had to sit and kind of face the music on it. And I had to be like, well, I didn't get into debt overnight, so I'm not going to get out of it overnight. But I was so embarrassed that I didn't want anybody to know about it. So we're here to tell ladies who find themselves dug in that kind of hole, you can get out. I'm sure it was painful. I'm sure you bought nothing, oh, yeah. nothing but food that you had to eat and keep the lights on in your apartment. Other than that, you probably couldn't do anything else. Yep. No, I was, uh, as Dave Ramsey says, beans and rice and rice and beans. Let me ask you a question about that because you're talking about, you know, the shame of it and, you know, the addiction side of spending, um, which probably, you know, still goes back to your unaddressed pain from the grief of losing your mom. Was there a Mm -hmm. period where you found yourself, you know, doing counseling therapy to really address the root issues that you were experiencing? No, no, I didn't go through counseling yet. Um, I actually did not go into therapy for the first time until about two years ago. Um, and now I am a huge advocate for therapy. Yeah, yeah. no, I did not. People, people wonder, um, I didn't have any money. Where was I going to get money to go to therapy? Like, <laughs> I mean, so like, true. <laughs> I mean, like I had, I had no money for groceries, like yeah. let alone therapy. So like that was, <laughs> 
you know, I mean, oh, but I mean, now looking back, I should have gone to therapy like in, when I was in middle school. Um, and it really wasn't until about two years ago that um, I finally realized that I needed to get to the therapy. Um, it was and it was after um, I had a couple of uh, late pregnancy losses. And that was the point at which like I looked at my husband and I said, it's time like I need to go to therapy. And he's like, yeah probably, you're probably right. So, <laughs> um, in a very loving way, obviously, but, sure. and that was the best decision that I could have made for sure. And it did a lot for me. Well, I love just kind of hearing your story of, you know, you know, yes, you fell into this shopping addiction trap, um, which led to the debt. And then you had to kind of find a way to deal with that. And you kind of, you know, you found a way to rebuild after that. I know about your business um, and, you know, your life and style blog that one of your big passions is ethical shopping. And um, Mm -hmm. I just really see that as a picture of even redeeming that season of your life and using it to impact, you know, women for good. So I just think that's a really cool picture of how you're, you're able to take your story and allow it to inspire others. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Molly, I know that was one challenge, one hurdle in your life that you had to find your way out of, but you mentioned earlier that you were in a toxic relationship and Mm -hmm. yet obviously you're happily married now. Where did you meet your husband? How, how did you go from one extreme to where you are now? Yeah, very much one extreme to the other. <laughs> Two very, very, very different situations. Um, so I actually met my husband at work. So I had moved to North Carolina in the summer of 2009, um, which was a very, very wise decision. And it was um, not, I hope you hear the sarcasm there. It was not a great decision. <laughs> um, but uh, because, I mean, we're talking like, you know, this is during the recession. Mm. No one was hiring teachers. Um, it was, but I made a poor decision, which, you know, God redeems everything. And had Mm -hmm. I not moved to North Carolina, I would not have met my husband. So obviously God was bringing me here for a reason. So I moved to North Carolina and, you know, was just struggling to find work. And this is while I'm trying to get out of debt. And I was just working like odds and ends jobs. And, um, at one point I had four different jobs and one of my four jobs was I was working part-time at a local radio station. And I eventually went to full-time at that job and was able to leave um, some of my other jobs. But, uh, one of the first people that I met when I was working at the radio station was this guy named John. And if you have ever watched the office, um, we are big fans of the, the show, the office, and we were Jim and Pam. Like we, <sighs> if you watch the dynamics between Jim and Pam, with the exception of like, I wasn't engaged to some <laughs> dude named Roy, uh, <laughs> but like we were Jim and Pam, like he was, John was in sales, just like Jim. And I, when I started out at the radio station, like I was kind of the front desk person and there was just, but at first, like we were just kind of co-workers and friends and it slowly began to be one of those things where it was just a very awkward like flirtatiousness between us and you know I would totally like his desk was right next to the copier so like I would make excuses to have to go copy things like I don't know you know just very very kind of silly flirtatious why is he he asking me out like I think he likes me and so you know I kept kind of like trying to scheme ways that we could hang out outside of work and um you know, finally, uh, the way I suckered him in was, uh, 
I saw that Toby Keith was coming to like the local place where, you know, to see concerts and that lawn seats were like $10 or something. <laughs> so I was like, I just was like, Hey, um, did you, uh, did you see that like lawn tickets are $10 for Toby Keith? And he's like, Oh really? And he starts texting all his friends inviting oh, them no, backfire. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, this is, and so I just kind of was like, well, you know, if you need anybody to go with you, like I'd like to go. And he's like, oh yeah, you can come with us. And so it ended up being me and like nine dudes. Um, <laughs> it was a group date, yeah. like on the bachelor. It was a very, it was a very romantic first date. Um, but that really, that was the first time we'd really like hung out outside of work and, um, we rode to the concert together and, um, and we just, we had such a great time and, um, kind of towards the end of the night, like he had his arm around me kind of thing. Like it was just very sweet. And, um, Oh, that's precious. Then, he was telling yeah. the, he was telling the other eight guys, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, think like me. I claim turf here. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fun to reminisce. Cause like we just, we were, we were so like, we didn't know what to do with each other. And, um, and then, you know, and then kind of the rest of this history, we started hanging out all the time and, um, but very quickly, very, very quickly, I realized, I said, this guy's different. This guy's different. Like something's different about him. And, um, I came to realize like it, I mean, he's a Christian, very, very, um, like just devout Christian. Not only is he funny and he's handsome, but he's just, he loves the Lord. And that just became very apparent to me very quickly. And I remember this is at a point that I am not into church, mm-hmm. but just as he, he didn't try to pressure me. He didn't try to push me to do anything. And really one day I just said, Hey, like, can I go to church with you? And he said, yeah, I would love for you to. And kind of, like I said, the rest is history. And, but it just, it was the first relationship where I was like, Oh, Oh, like this is how it's supposed to be. Like this is how a relationship is supposed to feel is it's not supposed to feel scary. You're not supposed to feel unsafe. Like you're supposed to feel like you want to spend every waking moment of your life with this person. And, um, yeah, we fell in love pretty quickly. And, um, a year later, like a year and two days after our anniversary of the Toby Keith date, we proposed <laughs> on the radio because we Aww. both worked at the radio station That's cute. and, um, then got married seven months later. Awesome. Well, it sounds like yeah. this was the first time you experienced, um, you know, a picture of a healthy relationship that is yeah. modeling basically the way the Bible says, you know, a man is yeah. to love his wife. And so, um, yeah. what a blessing for you. And obviously, like you said, just a stark contrast from what you had experienced. And again, another example oh, of, yeah. you know, rebuilding, like stepping away from what you knew had not worked in the past. I'm not going mm-hmm. for that again. I'm going to, I'm going to choose what's right and healthy for me um, and step into that, even though I may have wounds and, you know, um, insecurities from having done things a different way. Um, but just really embracing this new relationship. Now, Molly, it sounds like you and your husband are, are really at a, at a good place and have been at a good place. And your, your mm-hmm. marriage is built on strong foundation but it doesn't matter how strong our marriage is. I know that we hit bumps, we have challenges, we have hurts, we have heartaches. And I understand that you've had those as well in the form of miscarriage, that that was another mm-hmm. thing you had to get beyond or get through, or maybe you haven't. So can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah. Um, no, our marriage, you know, honestly, I, if we, we talk about this a lot, like people always told us that the first year of marriage was really, really hard. And then we got through the first year of marriage and we we're like, that, that wasn't that hard. Like that was really great. And then everybody's like, it's the second year. The second year of marriage is really hard. And we got through the second year. We were like, this was also pretty great. Like, I don't, you, know, you know, like we were both kind of like, uh, what's wrong with and, us? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and then everybody's like, oh, it's the seventh year. The seventh year of marriage is really hard. It's the seven year itch. And uh, we're both kind of like, just last night, we were like, I don't know. We're about to celebrate eight years and things are pretty great. Like we really love each other. Like marriage is just for us, but we also like, we know how marriage is like, I'm not saying that we, there aren't times that we probably annoy, you know, the, you know, what out of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't really fight ever. Um, I mean, we, if we disagree about something, like we just talk about it and we communicate through it. Um, and we come out on the other side, either compromising or realizing that I'm right. Um, and you know, but we really do like, we communicate very, very well. And so we don't let things fester so that it doesn't get to the chance where it can blow up. Um, but the thing that definitely I would say was the biggest challenge for us because we had to learn how to navigate something completely different, um, was when we went through pregnancy loss. Um, and so two years ago, um, we went through two second trimester pregnancy losses back to back within a span of five and a half months. Oh my gosh. I'm um, so sorry. We're very, very thankful that we have two beautiful, healthy children, um, that really, we look at them now as miracles because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and things that we've kind of learned over the last two years, since all the losses, like I probably shouldn't have been able to have children before. Um, and, uh, so the fact that they are two beautiful, healthy, strong, smart, funny kids, like is truly a miracle. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the first loss we had was our son, Elijah Timothy, and we lost him at, um, 17 and a half, 18 weeks. Um, and, um, you know, I just went in for a normal checkup. Uh, and the doctor told us that there was no heartbeat. Um, but I wasn't, my husband wasn't with me. It was just me and actually my son, Amos. And so it was, um, that was a really, really, really difficult time. Cause then obviously I had to go through, um, having surgery. Um, and you know, I had to, from the time we found out, like I found out on January 30th and then, um, our son was, you know, born still on February 6th. Mm like it was a week. And so during that week, I'm walking around and I look very, I mean, I'm, I was almost, you know, I was almost halfway through my pregnancy. Like, yeah. and this was my third, my, well, I'd had an early, early miscarriage before, but really this was my third, you know, kind of longer pregnancy. And so I, <laughs> I was big, like yeah. there was no question as to whether or not I was pregnant. So I would be at the store and somebody would ask me like, Oh, what are you doing? And like how horrible that was. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was after that, that like my husband and I just realized that we both grieve very differently mm. and I was just a mess. I was a mess for like a month. Um, I didn't want to see people. I didn't want people around. Like I cried all the time. I had severe crippling anxiety because all of a sudden now I was like, something's going to happen to my kids. My husband's going to die. Like I just would have all these horrible anxious thoughts. Um, 
And he kind of was like more like once, once we, once Elijah was born and that part was done, he was kind of like, okay, it's time to now like move on. And not in like, that he wasn't sad. He was, but it was just, he just dealt with it differently. So we had to learn how to communicate those differences. And I had to be like, look, I'm still grieving. Um, and I have these anxious thoughts and I know that you're, you're more or less in a lot of ways moving on, but I'm not there yet. And so we had to really kind of talk about that. And that was when I went into therapy. Um, and, and that really is, that was so helpful. Um, but then, I mean, quite literally, uh, pretty much a little over a month later, I found out I was pregnant again and that was not planned. I will tell you that. Um, that was, uh, that was, that was a whoopsie. Uh, apparently, apparently you're very fertile after <laughs> Sorry, TMI. It's fine. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I found out I was pregnant again right away and I was not okay with it. I was, re- I was a mess because I was like, I'm not ready to be, pr- I, like, my stomach still hadn't even like gone down from the previous pregnancy. Like I was, my my body had no time to recover. And so I was just, I was a mess. How did John feel about it? Um, he was kind of, he was in shock. (laughs) Um, he was like, wait, I mean, I know how this happens, but like, how did this happen? (laughs) Like, what, how did this happen? Um, and so he kind of went into fix it mode, mm-hmm. which guys like to go into. He's like, okay, like we're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, um, perspective. And I was not there. Um, and so I had a really hard time my entire first trimester of that pregnancy. Cause I was terrified. I was terrified. I was like, this is going to happen. And then, then when we, once we got into the second trimester in that pregnancy, you know, my midwives were like, the baby looks great. Like everything is fine. I think you're going to be fine. I started to let my guard down and we started to let our guard down and we started to talk about, okay, well, what's this baby going to be like? Maybe this is our rainbow baby. Like maybe this is the child we were supposed to, I mean, I don't know. We started having all these different conversations. And so we both kind of let our guards down and, um, I, you know, and then I went in for an appointment I was like 15 ish, 15 and a half weeks. Um, maybe almost 16 weeks and went in for an appointment and then it was literally deja vu. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I just remember being completely broken because I was like, why God, why, why? Like, this was not, we didn't want, like, we didn't plan for this one. Like, this is, this was not something that we, you know, I mean, of course we wanted another child, but like this situation was not something we asked for. Like this was, um, we thought that this was supposed to be our redemptive situation, all that kind of stuff. And so we were just floored. Now my husband got angry. He was angry. Um, he was upset. And the second loss was really much harder on him because I think in his mind, he thought there's no way this is going to happen again. Right. And then when it did, he felt angry um, at, at what was lost. Um, he felt angry that he had to watch me go through this again. And he had to watch me go through um, having to birth another baby that was that was not alive um, and have, having to go through all of that again. We had to go to a funeral home again. Like the funeral home remembered us from cremating our first. Like, I mean, like you don't want to have to visit a funeral home twice in six months for the same thing. Like Absolutely. nobody wants to do that. So it was just, it was a really, really dark time. And so we had to learn how to, how to communicate those feelings. And honestly, I feel like we did it very well. Um, 
and we came out on the other side where, you know, here we are two years later, um, and we're in a much stronger place because of it. Molly, that makes me think about our listeners and how they may be facing challenges that, you know, are overwhelming to them. You know, it can be financial, it can be infant loss, it can be marriage destruction or problems where they feel hopeless. Uh, And obviously you've had those in your life. So what would you say to our listeners? How, How do you find hope? Where do you start to go from heartbreak to healing? Just, I mean, it has been Jesus 100% the entire way. Like, I don't know how people go through this kind of thing without him, um, to be honest. Um, he has been everything to me. Well, one thing I definitely want to kind of touch on is we we certainly have women who listen to this show who maybe aren't quite sure about Jesus or, um, you know, they've been hurt by the church or they're just not sure if they believe that he is good. And we're so glad that they listen to this show. Um, Mm -hmm. but we want to speak to them as well. Is there, is there anything that you learned, you know, through therapy or even just choosing to go that route or anything that you did self care wise that they could at least start there to begin the process of seeking hope and healing? Yeah. I mean, I definitely would say, uh, if you're not in counseling, get a counselor. I should have gotten that a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, that investment was really quite, uh, uh, important for me. And I was really glad that I finally was able to do that. Um, and it changed a lot, a lot of things for me. So counseling for sure. Um, and then finding something that you to, to do that you love again. Um, so for me this year, like one of my kind of, I don't know, I don't know that I necessarily use the term self-care, but just something that I'm doing for my mental health this year is like, I am spending a whole lot less time on social media. I'm doing social media free weekends and, um, I am just, I'm reading more because I, I'm a reader. I love to read. And so even if you don't like to read an actual book, like maybe books on audible mm-hmm. or podcasts, um, that has been so life-giving to me to just shut out the noise on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, the media and to just be able to focus and do something I really enjoy has been so good for my mental health for sure. Molly, I love that. And I actually have really enjoyed, ironically, walking through your challenges in life and how you have rebuilt how no matter what you have faced, that it is not insurmountable. It is not beyond redemption or healing or forward movement. And I think that's something that is hard when you're in the depths of your pain or your struggle to realize that. And I think what you've said today is definitely going to encourage our listeners that no matter where they are, they can rebuild their lives too. Yeah, absolutely. There really is hope for for everyone. Well, I'm sure our friends are going to want to become your friends and follow along with your journey. Um, check out your blog. So can you just let them know where they can find you, where you hang out on the internet? Um, I know you have a podcast as well. So just let us know how we can kind of follow you a little bit more. Yeah, um, you can follow me on my blog, which is stillbeingmolly.com. And then I am on social media at Still Being Molly, and my podcast is called Business with Purpose. 
Love that. Well, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And then I'm going to be sure to put some of our articles from Grit and Grace Life um, into the show notes as well. We've talked a lot about grief today, so I'll put some of our um, most read grief pieces in there. Um, we, we have some practical articles on getting out of debt um, that might be useful to some of our readers as well, and then even some on um, infant loss and pregnancy loss. So Molly, thanks again for just coming on and being so vulnerable and real and sharing your story with us um, and just helping us to see that, you know, a grit and grace, strong woman can continue to move forward regardless of the challenges that we may experience. Thank you so much for having me. It was really just quite a joy to talk with you guys. So we're going to close this week with a quote that was on Molly's Instagram and it would totally made it to this grit and grace life. There is no force more powerful than a woman determined to rise. Oh, that for sure is a grit and grace woman. Well, friends, be sure to tune in next Tuesday. We'll be talking to the mamas. We're going to be having a heart-to-heart chat, me and Dar, about some of the struggles we're facing in motherhood and how we're keeping it real and pushing through. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a Grit and Grace life with us, or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week, we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.